Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. An investigative reporter works to solve the mystery behind the mysterious man who's been buying houses where tragedies have occurred. Set in a world where it always feels like night, even in daylight hours, real estate reporter Julia Talbin, played by Jessica Lowndes, hopefully I was close on that. correct, Jessica Lowndes. Lowndes, okay. A life is turned upside down when her family is brutally murdered. It is believed to be an open and shut case. But Julia quickly realized there's much more to this story that, than what meets the eye. And that is the basis of this film called Abattoir. And it is uh, the director of the film, Darren Lynn Bowsman, is joining us today here on Film School. Darren Lynn Bowsman, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah, a very uh, uh, interesting in story. It, uh, it's, a, I, I, it's a horror story. Right. I mean, how do you classify? Yeah. How would you classify well, your film? It's hard. That's you know, that's a hard thing. Uh, you know, one of the things I try to do in my career is kind of make weird hybrid films that kind of don't fit in any one category. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Abattoir definitely is one of those. It's. I mean, the easiest way to define it would say it's a horror film. That said, I don't think it is. I think it's a noir crime suspense with with hints of horror in it. Um, Maybe maybe I shouldn't have called it abattoir, which I think connotates horror because that is uh, that is meaning slaughterhouse. So I think when you hear the word slaughterhouse, you think it's going to be a Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers kind of thing, and it's really not. It's more of a talking movie uh, than it is a vicious. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's a, there is a lot of uh, drama. It's very stylized. Uh, yeah, in a way that it could be. It's it's not a era specific film. Uh, this could have taken place. It could be taking place today. It could be taking place somewhere in, in the future. Uh, am I correct in my assessment? Does it feel like it's sort of a timeless time that you're that you've trying to denote here? Or yeah, well, so yes and no. And I think that one of the things I wanted to do very early on is I didn't want to make a rehash of a movie that people had seen before. Mm-hmm. And you know, there had been a million uh, haunted house movies, um, a million. And so my thing was, how do I create a haunted house movie or a ghost movie and yet make it something that's more unique, more stylized, um, more me? And I think that one of my big things that I'm a huge fan of is I'm a huge fan of film noir. And so um, in, in myself, in my own personal daily life, I collect antiques and archaean, archaic um, kind of uh, things. And so if you walk into my office... Um, I have typewriters everywhere, and I, I use typewriters, and I have old-school Victrophones, and I have um, musical equipment from the late 1800s, uh, because I think it's cool. I think it looks cool, and I think there's something cool about using it. Like, when I type an important letter, I don't use my computer. I use a typewriter. Why? Because it's manual labor, and it makes you think. You have to think when you hit the keys, because there's no backspace. I can't get rid of that keystroke. And so I wanted my characters to exist in the same kind of thing like I do. And so it's a modern film. They have iPhones or splat screen TVs, yet they choose to live in a bygone era. And so the two main characters, played by Jessica Lowndes and Joe Anderson, are very much of the 40s, uh, you know, the 30s to the 50s kind of hard-nosed detective, 
Dame, uh, you know that that kind of world. Like if if Bogart and Bacall decided to make a horror movie, that's what that's what this is. Well, I, you know what, and I think that's a pretty darn good description of the film in a, in a lot of ways. Not completely, but yeah, <laughs> I, it, that vibe is definitely. I I I, I hear where you, what you're saying when you. When you and you describe it that way, well, let, let's get a little bit into the story. I sort of described yeah. it at the top of this the show, but uh, this woman is a, she's a, a reporter in real estate. She re- reports on real estate for her. For yeah. the, go yes. ahead, go ahead, describe it. I'm, you're going to so, do a much better. It, it, yeah, basically, the premise is uh, Jessica Lowndes' character um, is a real estate reporter, and she's her best friend is her sister. And right off the bat in the movie, her sister's murdered. Not only is her sister murdered, but the entire family is murdered. And uh, Julia Talbin is trying to deal with the grief. And in the middle of this horrible tragedy, um, the room in which the sister was killed in is ripped out of the house, uh, completely removed. And so, and here she is in the middle of trying to deal with this horrible tragedy of the loss of her sister. And then suddenly the room is torn out of the house. And the that leads her on an investigation about who would do this, who would kill my sister, and why would they tear the room out of the house? And it leads her onto this journey uh, and discovery of a legend of a man named Jebediah Crone, who for, you know, the better part of a century has been uh, going around and ripping crime scenes out of houses. Now, why has he been doing this? He's been doing it because he wants to build the ultimate haunted house, which is the, you know, this, this house of death and destruction. So everything um, that he touches has been touched by death one way or the other. And so that was kind of the way into the movie, not about the haunted house itself, but about the construction of the haunted house. Yeah, and and there is a there is a, in regard to a horror film, there's a little bit of a deconstructionist sort of perspective on this film. If you're looking, if you're sort of a film person, it's sort of it's it's, yeah. it's sort of that way. So I, I don't know if that's uh, something you would in, intended or if it's just my my. Go yeah, ahead. well, I mean, no, absolutely, and I think that any time that I am approaching a movie. I try to find a different kind of approach and kind of where I am in my own life and career. And so uh, going in, going into this this time, I really wanted to try a unique spin in a genre, which I'm a fan of and I'd seen a lot. And I think that that's kind of become my style as this mishmash of genres. And it's kind of undefinable because when people ask me, is it a film noir? Well, not really. Is it a horror film? Well, not really. Uh, it's just, you know, those are the type of movies I think I respond to and, and I like to see, hence why I've made movies like Repo, the Genetic Opera, and these kind of weird uh, these weird things. It's just something that I like to see things that are a little bit off-center, and I think Abattoir is definitely that. Well, and you definitely have the chops for a horror film. You you're, you directed such films as Saw 2, <laughs> Saw 3, yeah. Saw 4. Uh, by the way, I have a friend who is uh, absolute fanatic I, he would he would die if he knew i had you on the line right now so uh, i uh, well, yeah yeah tell your friend hello yeah <laughs> congratulations i don't, you don't generally say that but i just he is he's true a true fan of, of your work so uh but uh th- tell me a little bit about the writing of the the two lead characters i mean what 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 when you described it as a sort of a bogey and a Bacall sort of yeah. relationship, so, because obviously a very important part of the film, their relationship, although it's a little bit understated, it takes on more gravitas as the film progresses. You you get to see more and more of their the the depth. Yeah. Of so one of the one of the ideas very early on that I wanted to do was 
I wanted their backstory to be told in um, weird half sentences. And so, you know, one of the, it never clearly defines who they are to each other, but if you listen to the dialogue, they kind of explain it and they say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they talk, like I said, this bygone thing. They, yeah. they don't speak the way normal people talk, and that's one of my favorite. You know, I'm a, I'm a narcissist when it comes to reading reviews. I read every single review that comes out there. And it's one of the things that's been hard watching this film and reading the reviews on this film are the, the people that hate it, the people that, that despise it and give it zero stars, are giving it zero stars for the reason that I absolutely love it. And uh, I read a review this morning that said something like, the movie looked great and it had great performances by Jebediah Crone, but the two lead actors, who talks like that? Who actually talks like that? And that's exactly why I love it. No <laughs> one talks like that. And to me, that's what makes it cool, because they speak in these very long-winded, wordy kind of sentences to one another, the way that if you would watch Maltese Falcon or you go watch Asphalt Jungle yeah. or the big, you know, the big Sleep, any of these movies, that they would talk. You know, like there's a great, there's a great line where uh, Joe Anderson is, is trying to comfort uh, the girl who's lost her sister, and he yeah. says, you broke in the world that you broke and the world broke with it. This is your head cobbling together pieces. Well, no one says that. Like that's such a ridiculous statement. Like no one says things like that. Um, and but I, I think that's what to me makes this thing cool is the fact that the same reason that I love to go see a Tarantino movie. I love to hear his characters talk. I love to hear the words that they say. And I think that was for me when we we kind of head off on this. I wanted to make a movie. And I said, imagine it's a modern film. If they've got iPhones, they have all this stuff, but I want to hear them talk like they would talk if Humphrey Bogart were still making movies now. And so, you know, it's not it's not throughout the entire film, but you definitely get whiffs of you definitely get whiffs of it. Um, you know, between the between the two main characters, in some sense, Jebediah Crone, the villain. I think that everyone talks in this overly poetic nature, um, which again, for me, I just think it's cool. Yeah, and and that was what one of the, that's what led me to say earlier in our conversation that it's it's it I'm not sure what era it is and and you just described it perfectly. It is a modern era. Obviously, obviously they're using modern technology, but at the same time, the way they speak uh, it sort of harkens back to an earlier time. So that yeah. that is achieved. Now, I want to let our listeners know that we're speaking with Darren Lynn Bowsman, and he is the director of the film Abattoir, and he will be at the Arena. Cinema, Cine, Cine Lounge, or the Arena Theater in Los Angeles, uh, I believe tonight, tomorrow night, and I'm not sure about Sunday. Are you there on I think it's, I think it's, it's every night this week, and then um, for those that cannot make it out, uh, download it on VOD, iTunes, any yes. of those uh, yes. platforms. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm excited for people to see on this is uh, it. The, the cinematography and production design that this thing is, it's this adult, it's a weird adult fairy tale. And it's its weird to keep trying to think of how I can describe this to someone, and it's kind of a hard movie to describe yeah. because, again, it's just so out there. <laughs> that's thats what, yeah, I've been struggling to kind of nail this down, but I don't think it's, it's, it's not what you want. You don't want people to nail it down to one particular kind of film. And I mission accomplished because you're right, absolutely. It, it, had, it kind of skips around in terms of, even even tone, uh, but it definitely it just yeah from the beginning of the film I felt like it, I was it was as a stylized version of reality, and and hence this sort of dark, well that's dark just t- it you know I, you 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 just hit it and I think I always say that it's hyper stylized it's not real it's not the real world but it's kind of like the real world yeah. 
And um, when the original idea that we had was I wanted it to be night at all times, so it was constantly dark. And we weren't able to pull that off due to budgetary constrictions, but I wanted that fantastical element. And I think that that fantastical element helps you buy into the ghosts more because, you know, in the real world, you're not walking around seeing ghosts. So for us to buy into that and have that suspension of disbelief, I wanted to start it very early on through the way they spoke. And people were like, that kind of sounds like we, the way that people talk, but not really. And so by the time you actually do introduce the, the conceit of the supernatural, you had an easier time buying into it because you realized you were in a hyper-realistic world. Yeah. And, and also, I'm going to compliment you. You, you alluded to the, to the set, the, the design of the film, the set design, the look of it. Uh, particularly that last, I'd say, 20 minutes, half hour of the film, um, when we are... Well, I don't want to give anything away, but we're at that point. It really, uh, it's a terrific feel and look to to it. it uh, and and obviously, it looked like a very complicated shoot. I, I just say, just well, from looking, it, looking, you know, the God, we had to pick. You have to pick your moments when you're making a movie like this because um, you have to uh, when you, when you're doing a movie on a budget like this. And we had a very very small budget, even less time to shoot the movie. You really got to pick that, and I think that for us, it was that final act, and it was the abattoir. It was to make this abattoir be this visual feast, and I think that Jen Spence, the production designer, and Michael Feminari, the cinematographer, really knocked it out of the park as it relates to what I said to them. I want to make an adult fairy tale. Like, I want it to be Alice in Wonderland in the way that she goes through the rabbit hole, and in this case, she goes through the doorway, and it leads into this kind of fantastical environment. And uh, the thing which is exciting, that's all real. Like, that's a practical set. We didn't have any stages. We didn't build anything. Oh, my. So the house that they go into, we just augmented. We, you know, we decorated the house. Jen uh, decorated it. And through the amazing lighting design, you've got this, you know, this great, surreal, you know, uh, uh, insane environment to set our final conclusion in. Well, my hat's off to you and your and your all the crew on that one because it definitely feels... I thought it was some, some CG, a lot of CG in there, but actually, you're telling, wow, that's that's pretty. That's yeah, a, there's a there's CG in the in the ghost, obviously. Well, of course, there's CG yeah. in that first yeah. shot where she sees the house, but outside of that, it's pretty it's pretty much all practical. Wow, very nice, very nice. Well, um, what so you 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 talked about the reaction, which I understand. I mean, I think there's a, also I think there's an expectation for for you for as a director. Yeah, of course, and so. Uh, it's different than Saw. It's different than yeah. a lot, everything you, you as you described. So, what is that like to deal sort of as as an artist, as a, just somebody who's trying to make films? And you describe why you wanted to do it. But what do you take away from an experience like that, where the expectations are such that it it just it it has this kind of impact on the reaction to your work? You know, I think that I've always, um, and this is something that I've, I've I've come to grips with in the last couple of years. I've always uh, made movies that are divisive and divide people in in what they are. Now, it started with Repo, where Repo was a love or hate it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a fan base that that literally um, it became their life. Repo, it was it was their it was their life and it was their community and they loved it. And at the same time, I had critics that said it was the worst movie ever made. Um, and that went on with Mother's Day and all these other films that I've made that have these very passionate fans, and yet. Such hatred in in uh, despicable reviews from from critics at sometimes, and I'm okay with that now. And I think that you, I got to make movies that I like and I think are cool. And I'm speaking to an audience that I think I understand. And I 
at the very end, I, I, I'm never going to please everyone. Would it be great to have their, you know, to have their support and be like, oh, this is awesome? Of course it would be. But in the same thing, like, I love Repo. I think Repo is an awesome film. And so when I look at someone like Ben Lyons, who says it was the worst movie ever made, <laughs> like, I just got to laugh at that guy, and he's kind of a nozzle. I, I look at him, and I'm like, is that really the worst movie ever made? Um, and the same thing with, with Abattoir. I think that it is a movie that I am very passionate about because it, the actors take risks. There, there are such risks in the writing by, by Chris Monfetti. It's, uh, it, it's, it's risky. And I think it's not for everybody. And yeah. uh, there was a fun, I'm gonna, you're never going to believe I'm going to quote the Karate Kid, but I'm about to quote the Karate Kid right here. Okay. Mr. Miyagi was talking to Daniel, and he says, uh, right side of the road, safe. Left side of the road, safe. Walk down the middle, you get squished. And that's my feeling on filmmaking. I don't want to be a middle guy, and I want to walk down the middle. Um, there's nothing cool about that to me. I want to I pick a side. So I'm going to go to the far right and make movies in the far right, meaning that, no, they're not going to appeal to everyone. But for those audience members they appeal to, uh, I think they really dig it. Now, that said, like I said, it's a hard pill to swallow as a filmmaker. Um, when you, cause it's, like, it's like giving birth to a kid, right? You, yeah. spend, you have this child and you spend years raising it, and you hope it's, you know, the hope people will like it, respect it, but you have to push it out in the world and let the art stand for itself. So in the very end, that's what I have to do. I have to push out these creations. And, and hope that it finds its audience and that the, the film or the narrative or the directing speaks for itself. Well, well, excellent. I, 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 I agree with you. I agree with everything you just said. I think as a filmmaker, as an artist, as someone who has to look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, am I doing what I want to do? It, especially for someone in the rarefied air who's, been, who's had success and who's been given that opportunity. So many film directors, so many artists never get to really do what they want because of financial considerations, whatever it might be. So for you to have had success that you've had and then still feel that it's important to stay true to your own particular vision, I my hat's off to you and I applaud you for, for that uh, artistic I'll give courage. you one other like really quick side story sure. about that. Is, um, I just finished a project, a year kind of undertaking this thing called the Tension Experience. And it was um, it's not a movie, it's, a, it's an immersive, interactive thing that you have to go through. And I remember going in and pitching it. I pitched it for years, literally years, and no one got it. No one understood it. No one had any concept of what this thing I wanted to do was. And it got to a point that I just said, you know, to hell with you guys. I'm going to make this thing because I know it's cool. I know there's validity in this idea. And it took me a year to get it off the ground, and it opened uh, this September. And it was the, the most powerful coolest, um, most creatively rewarding thing, and probably the best reviewed thing I've ever done. And it's one of those things that if I listened to my critics, if I listened to the people that, that tell me things, I would still be at, at home in Kansas, uh, yeah. working a job I didn't like, doing things I didn't want to do. At a certain point, you just got to believe in yourself and believe in the ideas or visions that you have, be it a weird culty rock opera or a horror film where they talk like 1930s or a weird immersive theater piece. And I think that that's why I've been able to continue to work after all these years. You know, being 37 and making 12 movies, it's not because of talent. I, I think that there's that part of it, but it has, to believe, it has to do with belief in myself and the ability to keep fighting. And I think that I'm just a fighter. Well, for uh, all the filmmakers who listen to uh, Film School and for anyone who's listening to the sound of my voice and your voice, you know, that's... In, that's in, that is as good of advice as you can get from someone who is who 
who has done it, but also believes in it. And you, you, by your actions, you have shown that that's that's how you are, and that's the work you will continue to do. Uh, my hats off to you, uh, Darren. Thank. Uh, well, thank you very much. Now, um, again, you're at the arena. Uh, Cine Lounge, the Arena Theater here in Los Angeles tonight for the uh, for the nine o'clock screening, and then tomorrow night for the six o'clock screening, and then Dayton. Cal- that is correct. I will be there for both, and then I think on Sunday, um, Dayton Callie and Lynn Shea will be there at the Sunday show, and I'm not sure what uh, I'm not sure what uh, time that show is, but uh, if you look in the paper, uh, they're going to be there for the Sunday show. Yeah, the Sunday it has listed on the website as the seven p.m. screening. Perfect. So, well, you can go meet the great Dayton Callie and Lynn Shea uh, on Sunday. Fantastic. So, um, and then for everyone again, like I said, the can't go on iTunes, oh, yes. download it, watch it. Yes, yes, absolutely. You can download it at iTunes and uh, is it Voodoo and Voodoo as well. Yes. Uh, yes. So, so yes. Well, well, thank you uh, so much for 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 being here today. Um, of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah. The film is Abattoir, and uh, the director is. Darren Lynn Bowsman, and he's been kind enough to spend some time with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Darren. Take care. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.